Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, to all of you guys that are here in the house with us, but also if you are backstage on the patio or if you're joining us online, we are in week three of this series called Landing Lights, where we're talking about the things that God uses to guide us in our lives and our decision making. So in other words, the things that he uses to really direct us towards what he wants and what's best. And today we're talking about the Bible. Which well, shouldn't be a huge shocker to you. It's Sunday morning at church. We tend to talk about the Bible, but today we're actually talking about the Bible. Uh, it's, you know, I would say kind of most of us in the room have some sort of sense or belief that this book is special. But why is that? How does God guide us through it? I mean, we call it God's word after all, but that's not really universally true in the sense that there are obviously many people who don't think that who think there really isn't much special about this book. Maybe it has some nice things to say or maybe some not so nice things to say, depending on your perspective. And even among Christians, you'll find different kind of beliefs or approaches and perspectives to the Bible. You know, in here, there might be some of us that haven't opened a Bible in years, or maybe it's kind of something that happens every so often. Meanwhile, others of us, you know, may try to get into God's word every single day day. Some Christians might think it's mostly true, but maybe there's some parts in there we're not quite sure about. And others think that it's completely true in every way. My own perspective on the Bible has actually changed a little bit over the years. I didn't grow up in a Christian home or a church family. That just wasn't really part of my childhood or something that we did. But in high school, I kind of got in with a group of friends who were part of a youth group. And so I started to go to that, and I started to get exposed to Christianity and the Bible a little bit more. And at that point in my life, I I believed in God, and youth group was fun, but I didn't really believe the Bible, right? I was kind of too smart for that. I was, you know, the smart kid talking about our seniors here lately. You know, I was thinking about in our senior superlatives, those things that you put in the yearbooks and you vote on people, you know, that are the most popular, the most likely to become president, that kind of thing. I actually was voted most intellectual, which I think was just a thinly veiled way of calling me the biggest nerd. But I'd like to think it meant I was the most popular nerd, you know. But here's the thing. At that point in my life, like, I kind of, like, I'm smart. I know better than this, right? Like, I believe in God. That's fine. But I'm not going to blindly believe this stuff about miracles and all the rest that's in there. And that was kind of my approach to it. And thankfully, God led me through a season where I decided not just to kind of let that be how I went about things, but to actually research what I believed and why and to try to figure out if there were answers to some of my questions. And in this season, God kept showing up again and again and again with answers to my questions and my perspective started to change. And at some point in that season, I was in church uh, actually with my now wife, Andrea, who I was dating at the time. And I remember the pastor in the service, he held up a Bible He says, this is the greatest tool that God will use to change your life. And I remember I heard that, and I was kind of in this season again. I was kind of changing how I viewed it, and I was like, all right, I'll write that in the first couple pages of my Bible. And it wasn't even my Bible, because I was so new in all this and new as a believer that it was actually Andrea's Bible that I had stolen. You know, it had her name engraved on the front, and that was the Bible that I used for most of the next 10 years until actually a few years ago I lost it in uh, Universal Studios during one of our Rock the Universe trips. And so if you're in Universal Studios this week or this summer, check the Lost and Found for me because that would be a great story. 
But uh, here's our question this morning. Why do we make such a big deal about this? Why do we, why do we hold this in such importance uh, or an important position? Because hopefully if you've been around here for a while, or even if you're just visiting us today and joining us for this message, we hope you'll get the impression that we think this is a pretty big deal. But why? How does God use it in our lives, right? What makes it the greatest tool that God will use us to change our lives or such an, a powerful tool for him to speak to us and to guide us in our lives and our decision-making? Well, I think we look to it for guidance, partly because that's what it claims to offer. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And just as an interesting fact here, Psalm 119 is actually, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's about the Bible. It's this amazing prayer about delighting in God's word and living in it and walking in it. And I think all of us would say we want that in our lives. We want to live in God's word, and we definitely want the guidance from it as we go through our lives and make our decisions. Like if we could see what's in front of us, wouldn't that be great? Like imagine if you could go back and you, and you were able to kind of see the paths in front of you. Maybe that relationship wouldn't have caused you so much pain. Maybe you would have made some decisions differently or spent your time differently. And seniors, imagine as you get ready to go out into this next season and life is open before you, if you could have a pretty good idea of where some different paths led. You know, thankfully, that's a reality because God promises us to give us some guidance in his word. But I don't know about you, but most books that I have, I read it one time, and after that, it goes on the bookshelf to collect dust for the rest of its life. And is that what this is meant to be like? It's like, well, this is great. Let me get the advice out of here, pick up some strategies, and I'm on my way. I'm good. And that's not exactly how it works, and yet, unfortunately, so many Christians take that approach to God's word, and maybe it doesn't even get the first read-through before it goes on the shelf and it sits and we miss out on so much that God has to offer us in his word. See, Psalm 119 didn't say like, yeah, the word of God's pretty good. I got some good stuff out of it. Right? Psalm, Psalm 119 says, I delight in it. I cherish it. I meditate on it. I keep it. I walk on it. I need it every day of my life. But why? Why is it such a big deal? And how does it really speak to us in our life. Well, before we get into kind of the practical stuff about how God uses his word to speak to us, we need to understand some theology about God's word because God kind of gives us this answer of why this book is such a powerful tool in his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, at first, that might not seem like anything that revolutionary. It's kind of like, hey, Scripture does some good stuff. It'll teach you, help train you in righteousness, kind of make you better. And yeah, that's great. But we can miss out on something really important in the first part of this verse, particularly if you have a translation that says something like, is inspired by God. Now, that's not wrong, but it's interesting because Paul could have said that in a number of different ways. Right? He could have said, hey, Scripture is what God wanted you to know. It's, it's what God says, basically. 
But Paul actually uses a word in Greek in the first part of this verse that we don't have any other recorded instances of it before he uses it here. And so it's actually possible that Paul invented this word just to get this point across here. And it, the Greek word that he uses is this word theonoustos, which is an interesting word. It's, it's kind of two words put together. Paul takes the Greek word theu, which just means God. It's pretty straightforward. And he takes the word pneuma, which is a little more interesting. Pneuma usually means moving air. And so in Greek, a lot of times it, they use it to talk about your breath or the wind. But in Greek, kind of ancient Greek thought, there was this connection between your breath and your essence or your life force and so your spirit. And so it had this double meaning of, you know, breath or wind and, and spirit. And Paul puts these words together and it's a little difficult to know exactly what he's going for here. But I think the best way to translate theonoustos is that it's God's breath. It's God breathed out to us. And that's what makes scripture so important. Now, it's possible to take that a little too far to treating a Bible like it's God himself, but I think the idea is this isn't just a, a recollection of facts and stories about God so that we can learn about him. It's a way to encounter him, to hear from God, that it's like he's whispering the words into our ear himself, that the Holy Spirit uses these words to speak to us, and that's why it's such a big tool for God to guide us. It's not just a textbook to get some good strategies for life, and it's a way that God wants to speak to us directly. And Hebrews chapter 4 kind of elaborates on this a little bit. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But what does that actually look like? Like, how do we actually experience God's living and active voice in Scripture? Because I bet there's some of you in the room that you've cracked open the Bible a few times, and it sure didn't seem like God was speaking to you. It just seemed kind of boring and confusing and like, okay, that was good. And if you're in the middle of a decision or you're a senior about to take off to college, or maybe you're a little bit later in life, and you kind of feel like, I haven't really gotten much out of this yet. Keep coming back to it because God wants to speak to you through it. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but I think there's really two broad ways that God does that. Kind of these two primary ways that God uses his word to guide and establish what his will is in our lives as we make decisions and we go along. And so if you're a note taker, here they come, the two ways that I think God uses his word to speak to us are what I would call word drops and deep rootedness. What do I mean by word drops? Word drops are those moments where it just seems like a verse or a passage just falls on you. It's like you feel like Isaac Newton sitting out under the apple tree and you're getting hit in the head, right? It's the word of God is just coming to you and it could be at church in a message or it could be in your quiet time reading the Bible yourself. It might be something that a friend shares with you or something that just comes to mind. However it gets there, it's, it's those moments when it just feels like God is actually speaking to you. And I'm willing to bet that probably most of us who are following Jesus in the room could share a story about a time when a verse or a passage, you know, God brought it up in our lives and it was exactly what we needed to hear in that moment. And it just felt like God was speaking to us right then and there. 
know, one of those moments is really actually a big part of my coming to faith. Uh, in that season, kind of at the end of high school, where I was wrestling through, you know, what I thought was true, kind of what I believed about the Bible, I realized that one of the issues that I had wasn't just whether I believed it was true or not. It was whether I wanted it to be true or not. Because I realized there were some things, you know, I had my own plans as a high schooler, things that I liked to do and wanted to do in the future, and I realized that if I was going to follow God, some of those things were going to have to change, and I wasn't sure that I wanted them to. And I was sitting in a, a chorus class in my senior year, and I've shared this story here before, but uh, I was sitting in this chorus class. The teacher walked out of the room, and you know, so I was hanging out in the back. Everyone's just kind of goofing off and hanging out because it's not like we were going to do our work while the teacher was gone. And so I, I remember I was sitting in the back row, you know, with all the other uh, manly-voiced high school senior bass guys back there. And uh, I was sitting there leaning against the back of the wall. And I remember I just had this moment where it's kind of daydreaming. And I was thinking about all these things that I'd been reading lately and the questions that I'd been getting answered and this idea like, man, I think I'm really starting to believe this stuff. But I felt this tension between what intellectually I was kind of becoming convinced of and what in my heart I really wanted to be true and I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. And I remember thinking, and I, I don't know that I realized in the moment that I was praying, but I remember thinking, God, I'm starting to believe this stuff, but I don't know that I want to go your way. And right as that thought kind of crossed my mind, my eyes fell on the chair in front of me. I remember it wasn't the chair right in front of me, but it was one to the right. And a girl had gotten up and she'd left her binder on the seat of the chair. And in the front sleeve of that binder, she had a piece of paper where she had done a calligraphy version of Proverbs chapter three, five and six, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Now, I'm not gonna go so far as to say like that moment, I was like, all right, I'm convinced, I'm in. But it helped a lot. It felt like God was speaking to me right there in that moment. I've had other scenarios like that, and I'm willing to bet that you've had some instances of that too. And even if you haven't, if you're someone who says, I've looked at the Bible, I haven't had a moment like that. It just kind of seems boring and confusing. Again, I wanna say, keep coming back to it and don't be discouraged. Just start getting into it now and ask God to open our eyes because scripture says that God has to open our eyes to see him in his word. And so keep coming back to it, asking him to open your eyes. That's what happened for me. And it's what I believe he'd want for you as well. And as great as those moments are though, when it just feels like God's right there speaking to us and the word just hits us exactly as we need it, I don't actually think that's really the primary way or the norm for how God wants us to receive his word. You know, because what's better than receiving God's word and it falling on us is for it to already be there. And Psalm 119, again, it talks over and over again about keeping God's word in our hearts, in our minds, walking in it, meditating on it, delighting in it. And it's what I'm going to call this idea of deep-rootedness, being rooted in God's word. And it's the main way that I think he wants to guide us in our lives and in our decision-making. In Psalm chapter 1, the first few verses actually paints this amazing picture of what this looks like in our lives. And this isn't going to be on the screens. It's a little bit longer, and I want you to hear it spoken over you. And so I want to encourage you, actually, just take a moment, close your eyes as I read this verse and hear it spoken. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed 
is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. See, that kind of peace and prosperity, that comes from being rooted in God's word. And that kind of rootedness, it takes time. It takes being in God's word and delighting in it and drinking it in and meditating on it, seeking to be in it day after day. And it doesn't happen necessarily quickly. It takes weeks and months and years and lifetimes, really. And I don't want that to be discouraging to you. If you're someone here that you've got a decision coming up, you're the senior going off to college or you're later in your life and you're just like, that's not me. I just, I don't know much about the Bible. I haven't spent a lot of time studying it or reading it. Don't be discouraged by that. But again, get into it and make a habit now of getting in God's word and trusting that the Holy Spirit will give you what you need when you need it. He'll speak to you. And I might not be able to do the work of, of rooting you in God's word and those things that take time, but I do think there are tools, too, that help us to get some of the guardrails that God wants us to know and to have around our life. And so in particularly, I think there are some questions that we can ask ourselves as we go through our lives and as we make decisions that can help keep us in God's will. And so I'm going to share with you seven questions that I think are helpful in our decision making that come from Scripture. And whenever or wherever you're at in life, especially though you seniors, I promise that if you will ask yourself these questions as you make decisions and as you go through life, they will help draw you closer to God and the benefits of that, that you will see greater peace and prosperity in your life. It's not going to be perfect. Don't get me wrong. In fact, far from it. But if we ask ourselves these questions, God will draw us closer to him and keep us in his will. And so here we go. We're going to run through seven questions to keep us in the guardrails of God's will. And number one is, is it wise? Is it wise? Is whatever you're thinking about, whatever decision you're trying to make, are the different possibilities, are they wise? You know, if you crack open scripture anywhere, just about within a few pages, you're probably going to hear about the value of wisdom, right? There are whole books devoted to it in the Bible, including Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. And wisdom is simply knowing God's character and his path and walking in line with it. That seems pretty simple, but the problem that we have is that what God wants and what's wise is often something different than what we want. And there's this tension between the two. And so it's not always easy to just choose what's wise, even though most of us would say, yeah, we want to be wise. We don't want to make stupid decisions. But in so many cases, that tension between our wants and wisdom causes us problems. And I'll give you an example, something that I see all the time in our students it has to do with this, right? God in his word talks repeatedly about the wisdom of surrounding ourselves with good and godly people, right? Actually, just a couple of weeks ago as part of this series, Todd spoke about wise counsel and the way that God uses people in our lives to speak into us and to guide us. But 
the interesting thing is it's pretty rare to find a student who's picking their friends based off of how wise they are. In fact, some of you parents in here probably think your student is picking their friends for the opposite reasons. Just don't tell them that. It doesn't go over well usually. Right? And so many times I see students that end up hurt because of the people that they've let deeply into their lives. And I'm not saying we should only hang out with Christians, you know, and that we need to isolate ourselves. But there is wisdom in guarding who we let deeply into our lives. And if we would just listen to God and follow him and think about these things, we'd save ourselves so much pain. And thankfully, we get a little bit better at that particular example, I think, as we get older. And experience teaches us a little bit. But man, if we would learn to listen to God the first time, it'd be good. Question number two, is it edifying? Is it edifying? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. You know, edifying is a word we don't really use that often, but it basically means, is it beneficial? Is it constructive to you? Is it building you up? Is what you're thinking about something that's going to help you and advance you and build you up, draw you closer to God. And it may not be quite as black and white of an issue as is it wise or not is, because not everything necessarily builds you up or tears you down. Maybe it just kind of is. You know, maybe you're thinking about something like, how should I spend my Saturday? And should I binge Netflix, you know, the whole time? I know Stranger Things is about to come out. I'm going to be really tempted to do that here soon. But in that kind of scenario, it's not that using my time like that's necessarily going to tear me down, but is it building me up? You know, maybe it is that I need some rest, but there's probably better ways to do that that are more constructive. And so maybe I take a look at my time and I decide, okay, I'll give an episode or maybe two episodes today, but right, maybe I spend my time a little differently because I think about how is it building me up and how is my time spent? And is it really good for me or not? Question number three is, is it considerate? You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, be careful that the exercise of your rights doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. And it sounds um, interesting, you know, how he says this, because of the issue that he's talking about. But essentially, he's telling us that as we make decisions, we should be thinking about others and asking ourselves, is it harmful to others? And what Paul's talking about here, as well as in Romans, where he says something really similar, is this issue where there were Christians in his time that were eating meat that came from animals that had been sacrificed in the pagan temples in their cities. And some Christians didn't have a problem with it, and some did. Some of the Christians were like, you know, hey, what's the big idea, or what's the big deal? It's just meat. Like, I got a good deal on this, and have you seen beef prices lately? All right? Other Christians, though, they had a little bit more of a problem with them. They said, no, you can't do that. That meat came from these temples. There's spiritually, it's something wrong with that. And Paul actually steps in and he, he talks to these Christians. And what's interesting is he kind of gives them an answer. And he says, okay, look, there really isn't anything that wrong with this. It is just meat. Those gods that they sacrificed it to, they're not real. So spiritually, there's not really anything going on here. But if they think there is, Shouldn't you take them into consideration? Is it really worth getting your good price on meat to hurt their feelings and to cause them this much distress? He says we should be considerate of others. You know, in kind of our modern times, something we maybe see more often with this is how we approach alcohol. 
right? That, you know, maybe like here for me in particular, I don't see anything wrong with alcohol outside of getting drunk, but other Christians do. And so there are settings, if I know somebody's, you know, stance on that, or I'm not going to drink because it's more important to be considerate to them than it is to get to exercise a right that I have. And so we have to think about others in our decisions, which leads me to question number four that's somewhat similar. It's how does it appear? How does it appear? First Timothy chapter three, verse two says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. This idea of being above reproach, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like the idea of passing the eye test. It's that next level beyond, is it considerate to how does it really look to other people? And that verse in particular, it is actually a command specifically to pastors and leaders in the church. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, elsewhere, it mentions avoiding every form of evil. Or as the KJV translates it, it's every appearance of evil. You might have heard that before. And so I think it's fair to say that it's not just pastors, that all of us as believers have a high standard of holiness. And we should take into account what our decisions look like to other people. What's it going to make people think? And it's not that we should be enslaved to other people's opinions and preferences all the time, but we should take them into account. And teenagers, this question, this how does it appear, this is a great reason why it's a bad idea for you to ever be alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend with the door closed somewhere. Back in Tennessee where I grew up, it was in the basement, but we don't have basements around here. So your bedroom, whatever it is, right? You might be the most trustworthy teenager on the planet, and you might be in there doing Bible study or praying over one another, but it doesn't look good. And trust me, we were teenagers once. We know that's not what you're doing. And so we have to take into account how does it appear when we make our decisions because we've got to be considerate to others. And it's important what kind of image we project. Question number five is, is it legal? This one seems like it should be pretty straightforward. Romans chapter 13, verse one, it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I love how Paul gets a little re- uh, repetitive here, and I think that's kind of for a reason, because we kind of tend to be interesting about this verse. It's like, if my candidate is in office, then this verse sounds pretty good. I'm okay with it. Right? I'll take the Bible literally. But then when our candidate isn't in office, then it's a little bit more like, I'm not so sure that's what he meant there. I think that everyone was, uh, it was those people, right? And, and we kind of change how we view this verse sometimes, and we could have an entire message series on it, really. And I will say there are certainly instances where we, we have to use some judgment and some wisdom as we look at this verse, and it's not just black and white, especially when the law of the government directly contradicts the law of God. But the general attitude and call of God to us is to have an attitude of respect and submission to the government and the authority that we're under. And in our 20s, though, it's a little tempting to, you know, or our teens, it might be tempting to skirt that a little bit, but God tells us to submit to the authority we're under. Question number six is, will it master you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says again, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And it's kind of an interesting question. It's a lot like the verse we looked at earlier about whether it's edifying. I have the right to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. Paul uses the same kind of language. And he tells us that when we're deciding what to do, we should think about whether or not we're putting ourselves in situations where our self-control is at risk. 
And there are all kinds of examples uh, about this. It could be something just momentary. It could be a potential situation where you might become addicted for a lifetime. You know, I've known people that don't drink at all, not because of really their belief about alcohol, but maybe they've had a family history of alcoholism and they don't want to put themselves in a situation where it might be addicting to them. Or maybe for you, it's a job, a promotion offer. And the perks and the pay of it, or even just the work itself, sound really exciting and great. But if you really think about it, you're going to devote everything you have to that. And your family or your relationship with God is going to be left with the scraps. Or I know another example, and I thought about making a joke out of this, but it really is pretty serious. It's something that Andrea and I have had to navigate kind of in the season that we're in with little kids is, is kind of how do we navigate youth sports and the role it's going to have in our lives, the way it's going to affect our family dynamic, because we've got to be careful to pay attention to what's going to grab a hold of our time and our attention, because ultimately God should be our main priority, and our priorities can get out of line quickly. And it leads me to the last question, which might be the most important question of all. Is it glorifying to God? Is it glorifying to God? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. That God's desire is for us to do everything to give him glory. That in everything we do, that is our driving motivation. And it's not selfish of him because one of the main ways that God is glorified is when we are satisfied and fulfilled in him. I mean, of course, it's also making him known and proclaiming his message. But it's really this idea that our love for God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength is really the foundation for our lives and for our decision making. And you know, sometimes figuring that out, answering that question, is it glorifying to God, is pretty easy. And it helps us to make decisions pretty easily. Some things clearly are or aren't glorifying to God. But other times it takes a little bit more work to really figure out what our motivation is and what's going on in our heart. Because ultimately, that's what God's after. God wants our heart, and as great as it is to get his guidance and to have those moments where it just feels like God's right there and he's speaking to us and he's sharing his word, you know, with one of those word drops on us, what God ultimately desires is not for us to be all excited about the sense of direction that we have or feeling like he's speaking to us in the moment, but what he ultimately desires is for us to be deeply rooted in him, to be with him to have his word rooted in us. And what's great about that and how God designs things is that as we root ourselves deeply in his word and allow him to be deeply rooted in us, it creates a foundation for God to speak to us more spontaneously. That as our roots grow deeper, it's like more apples grow and fall. The words can drop in on us because as God speaks to us. He can bring things to mind in the right moments because they're already in our hearts and our mind and they're stored there. And God wants to speak to us. We can trust that he wants to speak to us, but we have to be rooted in his word and to listen to him. And so many times 
We see situations, I have them in my own life, but I hear about this in our students or our young adults too. That it's like, I'm just not hearing from God. I haven't heard anything from him lately. And so often it coincides with, I also haven't been in the Bible much lately. And God wants to speak to us. The question really isn't, will God speak when we're making those decisions or we're going through life? The question is, will we submit to what he says? Are we going to be listening? Are we going to be rooted in his word to allow him to speak to us? Will we be ready to obey and submit to it when he does? One of the things we need to know this morning is that the enemy's fundamental attack on us is to ask the question, did God really say? It's the way that Satan attacked Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the way that he attacks our culture. You see so much ignorance and doubt and confusion and, you know, all these different things about Scripture. And it's the way that he attacks us, even in our lives, as we follow Jesus. You know, maybe you've had a sense at some point of something that God has spoken to you, that he's called you to, and in the moment, it was exciting and new, and you felt bold and ready to live for him. But as you got along, things got hard, or they got scary, and suddenly what happens is this thought starts to come into our mind. Is that what God really said? Maybe I heard him wrong. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And we see it so often in ministry. Or maybe it's that we know what God's will is and what is wise. But what we want is pointing the other direction. And in that moment, we have to decide what we're going to listen to, what we're going to submit to, which direction we're going to go. And so often we make the decision to follow what we want. And along the way, we justify our decision-making. We make excuses. We try to make ourselves feel better. And so often the thought that goes along with that is, I don't know that's what God really meant anyways. I can just kind of ignore that part. Because the the enemy's fundamental attack on our lives is to say, did God really say? To make us doubt his word that he wants to be with us, that he wants to speak to us, that his spirit wants to use his words to guide us. In church, at some point, you will disagree or dislike something that God says. It happens to all of us. And we have to decide now how we'll handle those moments. What are we gonna do when it happens? Are we going to justify our our thinking, explain it away, ignore it, or are we going to wrestle with it and study it and choose to follow God and submit to what he says, even if we don't like it? Because you see, God has spoken to us. He is speaking to us, and he will continue to speak to us if we root ourselves deeply into his word and we ask him, say, Lord, speak to me. And we listen and we submit to what he says and we allow it to shape us and to guide us, to be in our hearts and our minds. He will guide us in our lives and our decision-making, even in the hardest of moments. If we root ourselves in God's word, if we keep coming back to him and allowing him 
to give us reminders of what he says and who he is. If you're here with us this morning and you need prayer, we want to let you know we have an interactive prayer experience room right here to my right and to your left. We have some Stephen ministers back there. I think Pastor Todd's back there as well today. That if you need prayer, we would love for you to come back there and we invite you to be a part of that. And I want to pray with us now that God would help us to be a people deeply rooted in his word. And so would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for the amazing gift that scripture is to us, God, that you want to speak to us, Lord. God, you know our tendency to wander, to forget, and you have given us this amazing tool that we can come back to over and over again, that your spirit desires to speak to us through it. So Father, I ask right now, Lord, for everyone here who maybe hasn't had that moment where they felt you speaking to them in your word, God, would you open their eyes to your truth and to your presence in scripture, God? Would you draw them close to you and give them a moment and moments going forward into the future, God, where you break into their lives and you speak to them clearly? But Father, I pray for all of us that we would be deeply rooted in your word, God, that it would be the foundation of our life. God, the thing that guides us in our lives and in our decision-making, Father, would you help us to walk in your ways and to delight in you and in your word? Father, I just pray specifically for our seniors as they head out into this next season. Lord, would you guide them? Would you build the foundation of their life on your word? on your goodness and your grace and your truth. Lord, would you bless them? Help them to be like the tree planted by the water. Wherever they are, or wherever they are whatever people they're surrounded by, God, would you water them with your word, grow them, and bless them, Lord, with your presence. Father, we need you to help us do it. We need each other to help us do it. Lord, root us in your word and in your ways. Remind us of who you are, how good you are to us, God. It's in Jesus' mighty and powerful name that we pray these things.